0: going to definitely feel more energy. I feel actually that I'm releasing things from the past and it's going to give you more of an experience in the now and just enjoying the present moment more.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Sifted podcast brought to you by our partner Zendesk for startups. Sifted is the new media publication telling the stories of Europe's top entrepreneurs and the businesses they're building. I'm your host Michael Stothard, editor of Sifted And in this podcast, you'll hear from the humans behind the stories, including the founders, innovating our futures, and the people whose lives are changing as a result. We'll be speaking to the journalists who broke the stories, as well as highlighting need-to-know sector info on some of Europe's most cutting-edge industries. We'll also introduce you to my five-year-old daughter, Eliza, who will be putting founders through their paces as London's newest and shrewdest investor.
2: What part of the
0: mushroom do you take? My granny told me that I shouldn't touch the mushroom because we don't know what they could be like.
1: More from Eliza later, but this week, we're exploring the world of psychedelics and how these mind-bending substances are slowly but surely entering the world of business. I'm here with Tim Smith, Sifted's Iberia correspondent and unofficial psychedelics reporter. Hi, Tim.
3: Hey, Michael. So
1: tell us how these two worlds the world of business and the world of psychedelics are starting to cross over.
3: Yeah, well, as it turns out, there are quite a few ways that psychedelics, so these are what would have been called drugs, but in other cultures are called plant medicines, but generally a psychoactive substance that gives you an altered state of consciousness. And in an increasing way, they are starting to go from what was considered a fringe, hippie sort of subcultural activity into something that the business community are taking seriously in a number of ways. So we're going to be talking in this podcast about the way that business leaders are taking their colleagues off on psychedelic therapy retreats, uh, companies selling microdosing packages to customers. So that's taking psychedelic substances every day at a low dose, and then going all the way to very heavily funded, essentially big pharma companies that are trying to develop synthetic versions of these substances to use as drugs in a mainstream setting. So for psychedelic therapy, which essentially means giving someone a dose of a psychedelic and then doing a traditional kind of talking therapy with that patient, which is already showing very positive early results.
1: Okay, so let's just step back for, for a minute. Can you tell us a little bit for those of us who aren't initiated into this world? Can you give us a little bit of the history about these once very stigmatized compounds until very recently, starting to seep into the mainstream?
3: There is a bit of a misconception that psychedelics arrived in europe during the hippie movement of the 60s and 70s which is to a degree true and that they did gain more popularity during that time but the truth is is that there's evidence that psychedelics have been used in european cultures as far back as we have records so this goes back to the people of ancient greece and it's thought that many of the pre-christian religions in europe so these were paganistic druidic cultures all use psychedelic brews as a means to transcend and access the divine. And when psychedelic enthusiasts talk about when the marginalisation of these substances began, a lot of people talk about one landmark piece of legislation connected to the arrival of the Catholic Church in Europe. So this was a piece of legislation in Germany, which I'll try and pronounce in German, which is Reinheitsgebot, which means the Bavarian Beer Act, and that happened in 1516. And what that essentially did was ban the use of impurities, in inverted commas, in beer making. So what it effectively did was it outlawed the use of psychedelic mushrooms in the production of beer during that time. And it goes to show how, as Christianity became the dominant religion in Europe, psychedelics did begin to get marginalised. And the theory goes is that... One reason that the Catholic Church wanted to outlaw the use of psychedelic mushrooms was due to the fact that they gave people a way to access the mystical experience, to transcend, as I said. And the Catholic Church wanted to control that and wanted to be the gatekeepers to experiences of divinity. So in fact, both the use and the stigmatisation of psychedelics in European culture goes back a lot further than many people would realise.
1: So so the reason German beer only has four ingredients and is famously pure isn't because they love their beer being pure. It was a reaction against mushrooms. Is that right?
3: Yeah, that's right. And you can see this on German beers today that they'll have in line with the standards of the Bavarian Beer Act. So Whilst now that's kind of used as a mark of pride, the sort of druids of 16th century Germany thought that was a hugely oppressive thing to do for their powerful mushroom brews that they would have used in ceremony. That is so interesting, I have no idea. Yeah, and then going into the 20th century, Albert Hoffman synthesised LSD for the first time in 1938, and there was a lot of science going into the research of what these chemicals could do, what possible benefits they'd bring to humanity. But then during the 60s and 70s, they sort of escaped the lab and became hugely popular in yeah, the, the hippie scene, the musical scene. And it's thought that governments thought they were too dangerous and that people would, you know, perhaps they would rebel or there would be revolts so they were outlawed and a huge kind of propaganda campaign began to try and make these things seem to be honest more dangerous than they are so we can hear now one of those videos and this is a character called mr lsd describing what he's going to do to your brain because you see it's my real secret that i
4: strip away the layers and layers of ego the protective security blanket that shelters you all and i can bring him into the incredible world of his own deep brain dreamscape. Of course, when he actually gets there, he may be terrified by what he sees.
3: But that's his problem, not mine. So there we have it, some spooky music and some serious warning signs from Mr LSD there saying that psychedelics can peel back your sense of self and leave you terrified of the void that's left behind. But while that is a piece of scaremongering, there is a bit of truth in it and it actually is one of the reasons that researchers are very excited about the possibility of using psychedelics to help with mental health conditions that are hard to treat in other ways. So that peeling back of the self... That is something that researchers are now referring to as brain plasticity, and what that means is the fact that psychedelics seem to give people the ability to reset patterns of behaviour and thoughts in their brain that might have been causing them distress or trauma, depression, anxiety, and these, as I say, are conditions that are particularly hard to treat. And we're going to hear from Dr. Carol Rutledge now. She is the Chief Medical and Scientific Officer of Small Pharma, who are one of these psychedelic therapy companies. And she's going to tell us why these psychedelic substances might be really useful in treating something that she refers to as internalised
2: conditions. Internalizing conditions are where the patient has these negative cycling, ruminative thought processes, which tend to lay down these thought patterns and and what we think are ingrained neural connections. And so they underpin a number of different disorders like major depressive disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder. So just where you can't break out of this negative cycling And and in terms of how we think psychedelic-assisted therapy will work, some of the academic research um, studies have been conducted on humans using imaging technology so that we can image the brain and we can image neural connections and neural networks. And that data, using both fMRI and also EEG, where you measure the electrical pattern of the brain, has shown that when you administer psychedelics, you kind of get this increased connectivity and increased um, excitability. And we think that is due to increased brain plasticity. And this increased plasticity starts to modulate those ingrained uh, neural connections and and loosen them a bit. So it's kind of like the brain resetting. And then the therapy then helps to really lay down those new neural connections and cement that increased connectivity.
1: So Small Pharma is just one of these companies, right? What differentiates them all.
3: As I say, there's a number of companies doing this around Europe. There's Beckley SciTech, Atai Life Sciences, Compass Pathways, and they're all using slightly different formulations of different natural psychedelics. But there is the commonality between them where they all, as you just heard Dr. Rutledge say, they all believe that there's this ability to kind of get out of those negative patterns that so many people find themselves in. And a good metaphor that I've heard people use to describe it is kind of like if you're on a sled going down tracks in the snow and you, can, you can't you can get out of the tracks because you're just in these kind of ruts. And the idea is that by taking a psychedelic and then working with that with therapy, you can kind of rewire yourself and give yourself a different thinking pattern that could help you out of one of those conditions.
1: So this is at the big pharma end of the scale, but psychedelics are finding their way into the startup world in other ways now as well, right?
3: That's right, and these therapy startups that we've been talking about, as I say, are by far the most heavily invested in, as you know, people see that there's a huge business opportunity with the mental health crisis that is upon us. But this growing interest in psychedelics from society is seeing other types of businesses pop up. And one of those that I've reported on is called Earth Resonance. So this is a Netherlands-based company. And they essentially offer kind of B2C, so, you know, nicely packaged up, sort of fancy looking, what could be some kind of like wellness supplement, but in fact it is psychedelic mushrooms. So these are legal to a degree in the Netherlands, not the mushroom itself, but you are legally allowed to buy the the truffles, which is the bit that grows under the soil with the mushroom. So what they've done is essentially bought a load of that and sold it in nice packaging in a kind of directed program where it's like you take a tiny bit of this per day and it doesn't have the kind of big sort of visual or disorientating effects that doing a large dose of psychedelics would do. But they're marketing this towards people who want to increase productivity to deal with stress. So it's becoming much more of a sort of wellness product than we've seen before. So let's now hear from earth resonance this is natasha de jong she's going to tell us a little bit about what the effects of microdosing can be
0: the first week you're going to be probably feeling tired and your body is actually recalibrating we always say that to a new frequency because what's going to happen is you're going to raise your level of vibration it's going to go up and there's also going to be a lot of processes not only your in your brain but also in your heart and that's gonna open up your field of energy. So the first week you're gonna be f- feeling probably really tired as well. And then the second week you're gonna experience more insights. So insights that could be, for example, memories from your past. And that's gonna give you an emotion. And what the so Simon is gonna help you with is to reframe that and to reassociate that feeling. So if it's gonna be a probably maybe a negative experience, you're gonna take that memory. And it's going to be reframed or reassociated with a new feeling. And that's actually how it's going to help you. And then the third week, yeah, you're going to be probably feeling much, much better already. (laughs) So that's the process. And then in the fourth week, you're going to definitely feel, ah, wow, I feel more energy. I feel actually that I'm releasing things from the past. And it's going to give you more of an experience in the now and just enjoying the present moment more.
1: You spoke to some of their customers, Tim. What kinds of people are they?
3: Yeah, I mean, it massively varies. And I think you can hear there that we're dealing with a slightly less high science perspective and that we're talking about increasing our energy resonance and a higher field of vibration so it's a bit harder to kind of stand behind scientifically but the kinds of people that I've spoken to who've used their products it varies from kind of stressed out hedge fund managers who are dealing with the impacts of financial instability on the global markets and popping a little dose of magic mushroom every morning to try and help them get through the day to uh, startup founders. So I spoke to one startup founder, he wanted to remain anonymous, but him and his co-founder had decided to take on this microdosing program to sort of see if it would make them more efficient in the way they ran their business. And They were very positive about it and you know I asked would you offer this as a perk to your employees and they sort of said we'd consider it because we thought it was you know such a great thing in terms of our productivity the way it clarified our thinking and I think you know they compared it to the limitless drug the film with Bradley Cooper where you know you unlock the full capacity of your brain so it is sort of strangely trickling into quite institutional parts of the professional world.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Zendesk for Startups. Zendesk helps startups build lasting customer experiences from day one. With the Zendesk for Startups program, startups get customer support software for free for six months. You'll get access to expert advice and a community of founders and customer experience leaders to help you build the foundation for long-term growth. Learn more and claim your free six months at zendesk.com forward slash sifted. Those aren't the only founders you've met with an interest in psychedelics. So tell us, and I, I really love this, but, but tell us about the psychedelic away day, Tim.
3: So this is a story about a pretty singular founder. His name is Julius Dreyer and he is the founder and CEO of a Barcelona-based community management company called Playa Media. And yeah, he organised this ayahuasca retreat with his colleagues. And ayahuasca, for those who don't know, is a psychedelic brew that's commonly used in shamanic cultures in the Amazon rainforest and is generally considered to be one of the most powerful psychedelic experiences you can have. Anyway, Julius is a pretty spiritual guy and took himself off on a personal ayahuasca retreat at the start of the year. This is in 2020. And while he was on this retreat, had a kind of epiphany that he decided he didn't want to keep this experience to himself and he wanted to share it with his colleagues. So rather than wait until the retreat was over and the ayahuasca had worn off, he jumped on the company slack. And we're about to hear what he sent to his team. And just a quick apology for this. I recorded these interviews before we knew that Sifted was going to have a podcast. So the audio quality is a little bit scratchy and you can hear me furiously tapping away on my keyboard, making notes at some points. But hopefully you can still hear what Julius has to say.
4: I wrote in the team channel, um, hey guys, I'm on this um, ayahuasca retreat and it's like so deeply healing and so good for me. I decided to extend it so I won't be able to finish this or that until next week or I won't be able to attend that meeting. And then everybody just sent back like hearts and loaves and mushrooms, you know, like emojis. A couple of days later, I think, still at the retreat, um, or still on the same day, I said like, Hey, this is really amazing. I want to do this with all of you. And I just put it out there, like in in the chat. And uh, once I came back, everybody really felt how changed I was. Like this fire burning inside of me and me speaking, really, really speaking from this fire and like disrupting so much in our company. And speaking from that, I think, was a very maybe impressive, maybe transformative um, experience also for many people in, in my team.
3: So that was kind of the start of this very unusual work trip. And it prompted quite an unusual set of events where a squadron of shamans turned up at the offices of this company to prepare the employees for the journey that was ahead of them. And I think a lot of people, just as a starting point, would say it's a pretty odd thing to do for a boss to even suggest to colleagues that it might be a good idea to take a very mind altering substance. And, yeah, it's a pretty powerful intervention to make with your colleagues, a lot of people would say, and particularly when they're not necessarily all going to be buying into your worldview. And as it turned out, this retreat was sort of planned pre-COVID. COVID COVID happened, uh, but Julius couldn't be dissuaded. So come July, when the restrictions were starting to ease off a bit, the team from Ply Media did head off to this retreat. And as we're going to hear now from one of the employees who spoke to me, a guy called Ronald Zinke, the spiritual side of this retreat was a bit unsettling to some of them.
4: The first impression to this was when we arrived. There was the COVID situation all over the world. And there was another Ayahuasca retreat before us yeah. with more than 30 people. They left on Sunday and we arrived on Monday morning. The first thing they said to us, you don't have to take care. COVID doesn't exist here. Really? Right. You we were doing uh, something different kind of people with different people from all over spain or the world and then you say of oh, course it doesn't exist yeah. okay and then the greeting was hugging each other for a longer time and i'm a person i will keep my social distance a bit more and i can't hug you when i don't know you very well and was taking a cigarette and then Gintera came to me and hugged me from the back Okay. For more than two minutes and was whistling in my ear, calm down, feel free, you are a very happy person. And it was a situation I felt so uncomfortable with because now I don't want to get hurt.
1: So it sounds like they were not so concerned about
3: COVID protocols, but how did the rest of it go? Well, it's interesting. and. It's important to not be too dismissive about it because a lot of the people that went on this trip had really positive times on the ayahuasca. So that's definitely worth saying. On the other hand, some people were not so prepared to go on this retreat and some people said, okay, I'm just going to go along. I'm not going to take any psychedelics. I'm just going to do yoga. But one of those people who had not been planning to do psychedelics saw that on the first night, everyone had had quite a good time. And then she was like, okay, maybe, maybe I would like to have a go at this and was getting all ready to do a big old slug of ayahuasca the next evening and then just by chance was speaking to one of the volunteers who was kind of facilitating the group and mentioned that she was on some medication that actually would have made it pretty life-threateningly dangerous for her to take any kind of psychedelic. And that is the kind of thing that should have been picked up way before on uh, safety forms, sort of saying what your health conditions are ahead ahead of time. But that hadn't been done on this trip because it was quite confused who was and who wasn't going to be doing it on this sort of big group retreat. And it kind of goes back to that original point we were talking about, about should a boss be asking people to do this? Normally, it's something that you would only do if you had a big personal conviction to do it. So it's very unlikely that in another setting anyone would ever just end up doing ayahuasca by chance. And yeah, it was very fortunate that this volunteer picked it up, but it did go to show that there probably wasn't the correct health and safety procedures around this trip that Julius had organised. So in light of that, after they came back, I asked him how he felt about what was quite a serious near miss.
4: I I would just make sure next time that uh, that the medical part is really covered for everyone, Um, maybe even myself, to make make everyone aware and and double check myself as well. Aside from that, I have to say also that all of this was also an invitation, like I'm, I'm not fully responsible for, for um, people joining the retreat, you know, this is an invitation to come uh, to, to do the retreat. All of the people are grown-ups and I treated them this way, making up their own minds, making their own choices, uh, uh, being informed and informing themselves, and also reading the material um, thoroughly, you know. I, I don't want to take on too much responsibility.
3: There we go. So there's Julius, not feeling that he's particularly responsible for his employees' well-being on that trip. So yeah, I mean, it was it was a near miss, but definitely something that could have gone seriously wrong.
1: And the story goes to show that it's not all fun and games, I think.
3: It's not all fun and games, you're right. And I think this story goes to show that if you do want to go and try psychedelics and you think that the benefits that people describe could be useful to you, you should be really careful about where you do it and make sure that it's done in a safe and controlled context. But while stories like this do demonstrate that you do need to be careful... There does also seem to be huge potential for psychedelic substances to play a role in our treatment of mental health. So one of the most exciting things that researchers are talking about at the moment is the fact that a course of psychedelic therapy, it doesn't involve taking medication every day like many antidepressants do. They think that just by doing one session on a psychedelic, that can really improve mental health outcomes for as much as one to two months. So for people that are on these daily mood altering drugs that are not a perfect solution for mental health, as we know it does seem that psychedelics have a chance to really change the way that people struggling with mental health can find help. So yes, whilst there is some risk in going off to a psychedelic retreat and not having their health and safety in place, as we heard with Julius Dreher, the other side of the coin is that these substances could be really beneficial to society and help people who are otherwise really, really struggling.
1: Well, there's our sifted reporter's take. Thank you, Tim. And in just a moment, we're going to hear Natasha de Jong from Earth Resonance pitching to my five-year-old daughter, come angel investor, Eliza. But first, let's put this conversation into context. So here's our producer, Georgina, with the Sifted Intelligence Unit, Need to Know Info on the Emerging Psychedelic Sector.
5: Hey everyone, it's Georgina here, bringing you the Need to Know Sector Info on psychedelics. Despite its taboo history, a new wave of startups has arrived looking to commercialize drugs as treatments for psychiatric disorders. They're pushing for both a renaissance and a rebrand of psychedelics that's all about science, not excess, and healing, not getting high. So just how big is this market? 2020 saw the global psychedelic sector grow to 2.8 billion U.S. dollars. And that's expected to reach 7.6 billion U.S. dollars by 2028. But in the grand scheme of things, that's still tiny compared to the global cannabis market is predicted to be worth more than 70 billion U.S. dollars by 2028. Major players in the space include Compass Pathways, a U.K.-based company that patented a synthetic version of psilocybin to treat depression. It IPO'd in 2020 with a market cap of 1.9 billion euros. Other big fish include Peter Thiel-backed Atai Life Sciences from Berlin and GH Research in Ireland. They both IPO'd, each with a 1.3 billion euro market cap. As of November 2021, these companies are still taking their psychedelic therapy drugs through clinical trials, and there's still a long way to go before any of them are deemed safe and effective to use medically. That said, results from clinical trials continue to turn up positive results, giving some hope that psychedelics could play a part in improving our very imperfect approach to mental health care. That's the Sifted Intelligent Unit's need-to-know info on the psychedelic sector. But now, over to Eliza and Episode 2 of Baby Shark Tank. This week, Earth Resonance's Natasha DeYoung is in the hot seat. And don't worry, we've made it very clear that microdosing magic mushrooms is not for kids.
0: I love
1: doing that. baby <laughs> Natasha, you are here with my five-year-old daughter, Eliza, the toughest of critics who may or may not at the end of it invest some
0: marshmallows
1: (laughs) so you know you love the game at the end well we'll get to that so the challenge is on natasha what does your company do
0: so i assume you sometimes go with your dad to the forest and now if you go to the forest you can see a lot of mushrooms right yeah they grow a lot of mushrooms in the (laughs) forest yeah you know that I, in the Isle of I saw a house with mushrooms on the ground. Wow, that's amazing. So you know what you can do with those mushrooms? What? You can eat some of them. And some are very dangerous, but some can be really healthy. My granny, my granny told me that I shouldn't touch the mushroom because we don't know what they could be like. exactly. Exactly. And some are very, very poisonous, but there is a group of mushrooms who are very special. And these group of mushrooms, that's what we, what we made a product of. And you know what these mushrooms can do? What? Well, you know, when when we are young, when like, for example, like you, you're very happy and you have <laughs> a lot of fantasy and creativity, but the older we get, the older we grow, the more boring we get and the more difficult life is. So the mushrooms for some people can make them a little bit more happy and they like to become more creative and they like to play again. So you have the mushroom and that's what we're selling. And every other day, you take a very small, tiny little bit of the mushroom and at the end of the month, you feel much better. And the the most important thing is, is that you and children from your age definitely don't need it. It's only for people who are very old and who are maybe sad, but you don't need that. And it's not not for children. Not for kids. What part of the mushroom do you take? Great question. So our mushroom actually grows under the ground. So some mushrooms you see above the ground, but there are also mushrooms who grow under the ground. And we are using the mushrooms that grow under the ground.
1: Does that all make sense, Eliza? Yes. Okay, so now there's a little test for you. Here. Can you explain this back to Natasha?
0: Um, so your company, um so it it helps people feel a bit better? Mm-hmm.
1: How does it do that?
0: With mushrooms. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Great explanation.
1: <laughs> okay game's on is it the big moment yeah okay so how much investment of marshmallows does natasha get
3: uh four four marshmallows
0: <laughs> how do you feel natasha that sounds great to me <laughs>
1: very good okay can you say can you say goodbye to uh natasha
0: bye bye natasha thank you for the baby, baby shark tank
1: So there we have it, four out of five marshmallows for Natasha de Jong of Earth Resonance. Thanks to Natasha, Dr. Carol Rutledge and the team at Player Media for being part of this podcast. And of course, my daughter Eliza. Tune in to the next episode where we'll be diving into the world of wealth and the tech companies that are trying to cater to Europe's next generation of millionaires. The Sifted Podcast is produced by Georgina Eustick and edited by Tim Smith. I'm SIFTA's editor, Michael Stoffard, and I'll see you next week.